Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, welcome to this week's Bald Head Bible Podcast. And I'd just like to encourage you, if you enjoy this podcast, to please consider supporting us. Go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash baldheadbible, and there you'll see different levels that you can support us at. It isn't much. I'm not trying to get rich off of this or anything like that, but you can support us for the mighty amount of $1 a month. $1 a month, which comes to $12 a year. And what do you get for that? Well, you get access to the Baldhead Bible Podcast after show, Waxing the Dome. It's a 10-minute show where I'll be talking about various things, and I'll probably be, number one, talking about extra content that I wasn't able to get at about the character for this week, and I'll throw in some things that I just ran out of time to talk about and wasn't able to fit in the show, or or number two, I'll be interviewing some really cool people, some theological friends I have or pastoral friends I have who can give us some insight on the book or the character we're going through that week. Or finally, I'll just interview some really cool people that are just fun to meet. Or maybe I'll just chat about stuff. But it's just for supporters of the podcast. It's going to be a 10-minute show. Our premiere episode is free. So check it out, Baldhead Bible Podcast after show waxing the dome but starting this week it's only going to be accessible to our supporters so for a dollar a month you get access to this 10 minute after show podcast which will be a lot of fun but if you want to go higher you can support us for three dollars a month and there you get the after show waxing the dome as well as a sticker We've created some Bald Head Bible merch, if you'd like to look at it that way, and I will mail you a sticker if you join for $3 per month. And our highest level is $5 a month, and there you get the Bald Head Bible podcast after show Waxing the Dome. Plus, secondly, you get a sticker. Plus, thirdly, you get the ability to download a PDF and it'll be a series of questions that you can use to think through the story in the podcast. You could use these questions as a way to have devotions with your family or use it with your Bible study group. And I'll try to throw in, if I can, a little crossword puzzle that maybe your kid and you can fill in as you listen to the podcast. So... You get that if you join at $5 per month. So think about supporting the podcast. You can support us, again, easily for $1 a month. It's called The Buzz Cut. Or you can join us at $3 a month, which is called Shaved. You're getting closer to the bald goodness. And then the highest level, $5 a month. And that's called True Baldy. 
You have reached true bald head Bible perfection. So I'd encourage you to think about it. Um, it costs me some money to put this podcast on. But of course, you don't have to join at all. And you can just listen to the main podcast, which will always be free. And I want to get the message of the Bible and the excitement of Scripture out there. So do not worry. That will always be free. But if you'd like to think about supporting us, go once again to patreon.com forward slash baldheadbible or just go to patreon.com and search baldheadbible. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. Featuring the expositive story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Before we begin, I would like to encourage you, if you are a child listening to this podcast, I want to say that is great. But if you're listening to this podcast unsupervised, I would encourage you to go ask your parents if you can listen to this particular episode because... In today's world, this episode would be considered rated R. It deals with some very difficult adult-type material, and I just want to put a disclaimer at the beginning. Stop the podcast and go ask a parent to listen to it first. If you're a parent, I would definitely encourage you to listen to this podcast before allowing your child to listen to it to make sure that it's okay for their particular age and stage in life. It's from Scripture, it's the Bible, and that's why I'm telling it like it is. I won't add anything particularly bad. I'm just going to convey what Scripture conveys. The story begins with a man looking for his wife. He wants to reconcile with her. It's been four months and the man has been without his wife and, and he wants to bring her back. He'd, he'd married her and she had started cheating and hanging out with other men and sleeping around. And she basically left him and ran back to her father down in Bethlehem. And this man, who's a Levite, we find, and he was up in the hill country of Ephraim. And so he's heading south to get down to Bethlehem because he knows his wife has gone there to be with her father. And he wants to bring her back. He wants to be reconciled with his wife. Yes, this is good, right? Reconciliation and marriage. This is awesome. Yes, this is good. But no, this is bad as well. Why? Because this is this man's second wife. In fact, the Bible says it's his concubine. It's a lower level wife. He had his legal wife, but you know, he had to have something on the side. And so he married again and had this second wife, this concubine, who he would have children through and things like that. But it was a lot of, hey, I'm going to marry her because I find her attractive. I'm going to marry her because I want another wife. And that's not what the Bible teaches, right? In the book of Genesis, it's clear. Adam and Eve, one man, one wife, together for life. That's what the Bible teaches. But the problem is men and women as well, but particularly in the pages of Scripture, men 
are driven by their lusts and they see another woman, why not marry her? And some great godly faithful men made this mistake of marrying more than one wife. Abraham had a concubine. Jacob had a concubine. These are great men of faith. King Solomon had hundreds of concubines. But these are all good godly men who made this mistake. And here you see this man, it says, he's of the tribe of Levi. They were where we got all the men who worked in the temple and they knew the Torah. This man should have known better. And I'll give him credit for wanting to reconcile, but I don't know if his intentions have anything to do with love. Well, he shows up to Bethlehem of Judah. And he finds his father-in-law's house and he knocks on the door and the father-in-law opens the door and, hey, it's my son-in-law and he lets him in and he shows him great hospitality. And he says, oh, this is awesome. And maybe he brings in the runaway wife and maybe they hug and kiss. Please make up. And maybe he whispers in his ear, please take her. I do not want her back. She's driving me nuts. Hey. And then after a day of of eating and feasting he says please please stay another day and so this man from levi and his concubine they stay another day yay and they're celebrating and they're having a great time and the father-in-law says stay another day so they yay they stay a third day and then he says hey stay another day this is a great example of middle eastern hospitality you pour on the food you pour on the drinks you make people feel at ease you make people feel wonderful this is where they need to be this is great well, the man and the concubine, all right, we'll stay one more day. The fifth day rolls around, and the father-in-law is like, please stay, stay. And he's like, no, I have got to get going. See you later. And so they finally leave. And maybe the father-in-law is thinking, phew, I was wondering when they were going to stop taking my hospitality and get out of here. I don't know. But they finally left and they're heading back to Ephraim. So they're going from Bethlehem of Judah up north to Ephraim to the man's hometown. And it's starting to get dark. And back then they didn't have lampposts or lights on their cars or headlights on their donkeys. And all this man had was him, his donkeys with hay and a servant and his now reconciled concubine wife, and they're heading north, and they're running out of daylight, and they're nearing this city called Jabus, or Jebus. Later on, that city's going to be known as Jerusalem. But at this time, Jerusalem was not controlled by the Israelites. Instead, it was controlled by this Canaanite tribe called Jebus. And so, because of that, this man is like, I can't stay there. But the servant pleads with him, hey, please, please, let's just stay there. He's like, no, 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 I want to go somewhere I feel safer, controlled by my people. And plus, ugh, they're Canaanites. You know, he's getting a little snobby there. I don't know. But four miles further on, finally, whoo, they get out of Judah and they're into the tribal allotment of Benjamin. And they come to the city of Gibeah. So Gibeah is a city within the tribal allotment of Benjamin. And here the city is called Gibeah. And he's like, yes, this is my people. I'll be accepted. And he walks in, swings open the city doors and crickets. Chirp, chirp. Just the wind blowing. 
tumbleweed goes across. Nothing. Nobody's showing them hospitality. Nobody's showing them grace. Nobody, nobody taking care of them. This is not the Middle Eastern way. They should have been taken care of. They should have had, hey, somebody greet him. Do you have a place to stay? It says instead, him and his concubine wife sit in the city square. And they're waiting. And they're waiting for somebody in the city to show them hospitality. But it's starting to get dark. Way dark. And then they hear it. Click clunk. Click clunk. Click clunk. Click clunk. They're like, what is that noise? Click clunk. Click clunk. And they look over. And it's an old man walking into Gibeah. We find out he was a farmer in the area who was actually from Afrium, and he's just in Gibeah, just staying there while he's sorting some business out in the area, and he's been there a couple days, and he sees this man and his wife, and their servant and their donkeys, and he sees them in the city square, and he thinks to himself, these people aren't safe. Maybe he grabs his shovel and holds it up a little bit and looks around and he notices over there. Oh, look at that man. He's getting closer and sort of sneaking up on that couple in the square. And then he looks over in the dark and he sees somebody else, another man coming up. He looks around and probably maybe sees a whole group of men converging on this man and this woman. And he's thinking, oh man, this this isn't safe because he's been in Gibeah. I don't know for how long, but he knows what the city is like and it is not good. It is bad. Think of a scary place where you would be afraid to go because you're afraid you'd be attacked or beat up. That is Gibeah. And so he says, hey, 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 come with me. I mean, he's not even of Gibeah, and he's the one showing hospitality. Hey, come with me, come with me, come stay in my house. All right, great, great. And the man from Levi says, hey, I've got my donkeys, but don't worry, I've got straw. I'll take care of them. We just need a roof over our head, a place to stay. Great. So they go in and boom, they shut the door behind them. Whew, they've got a roof over their head. They're safe. They're taken care of. Those men are not going to bother them. Yes. And then they hear it. Knock, 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 knock. More like boom, boom, boom. The old man looks out and he hears the men. It says, worthless men of Gibeah. A group of worthless men. And they yell out to the old man in the house, the master of the house. Hey, bring out that man. And they're very specific. They don't ask, hey, bring out all your goods. We're going to steal your stuff. Bring out the donkeys. No, no, no. They're not there to steal anything. Instead, they say, bring out that man because we want to have sexual pleasure with him. I mean, they're that specific. They say, we want that man to do bad things which are against scripture. Bring him out. What? This is horrible. Stealing stuff is bad enough, but this is just sexual perversion at its worst. And a group of them are there. 
And this is probably frightening beyond measure. And the old man, he goes outside and he says, hey, hey, do not do this. Don't bring this great shame upon our city. Don't do this. Hey, good, good job, old man. Good job. Good job for standing up for right. And then he does something so horrible that he negates any good that he did. He says, instead, please, please, here, here, take my young daughter who's never been married who's never had sex, you could have her, have her instead. And, and oh, and also we have a concubine in there, and, and I'm sure the, the, the man won't mind giving her up. And take both of them, take, take them, but please do not touch this man. That is a bad sign of hospitality. Don't do that. What? What in the world is happening here? These men want to do something horrible to this man. So instead he offers these two innocent women. Where is their chivalry? Where is their standing up for right? Where is their calling out for help? Instead they offer his own daughter and this guy's wife. And the worthless men of Gibeah, you know what they say? They say, no. Not good enough. We want that man. And so the old man runs back inside and he goes, I don't know what we're going to do. And it says that the husband, the Levite, grabs his wife, opens the door and shoves her outside and slams the door behind her. He sacrifices his wife. He gives her over to them. What sort of husband is that? And it says they abused her physically and sexually the whole night long to the point where the morning rolled around and she is crawling towards the house and it says she dies with her hand on the threshold of the door of the house. And I can't imagine the screams and the terror that poor lady went through. And my question is, where is the husband? Why did you give up your wife like this? Why didn't you go out there and fight for her? Why didn't you find some way to defeat these men? What were you thinking? I can't even begin to understand that. Well, the next morning, the man gets up. He's been sleeping. He hasn't been worrying about his wife. Why did he travel all that way to find her? I mean, he clearly doesn't love her because he cracks open the door and he looks out. And yeah, those worthless men of Gibby are gone. And he's about to step out and he steps in something squishy and he looks down and it's his wife's hand. And you know what he says to her? He says, get up. Get up. Come on, let's get going. We've got miles to go. Come on, let's get up. He just treats her callously like you would just some normal person totally not recognizing what she just went through and treating it like it's nothing. And it says he picks up her hand and he finds that she's dead. She's dead. The worthless men of Gibeah had killed her and so he picks her up puts her on his donkey, and they head back home. And at that point along the way, I think with all that time to think, he realizes the injustice he's just been through. 
How how dare those men of Gibeah rob him of his wife? How dare these men of Gibeah rob him of the potential of what he could have gotten through this woman? I mean, I don't think he cared about her, but he realized that the injustice that he had gotten was horrible. And so you know what he did? He found his local authorities and complained, and then the police showed up and everything was taken care of. No. What happened in Gibeah was horrible. But what happens now, the story just gets weird. Because what he does is he takes his wife's dead body and chops her into 12 pieces. Basically takes her limbs and chops her arm and chops her hand, chops her leg, chops her ankle. So he gets 12 pieces out of her and then sends them out to each tribe in Israel. Now, I have so many questions about this that I can't even begin to understand. Number one, how do you mail body parts? I don't even want to know. Number two, did they have a mail system back then? Or did he just send them by courier somehow? And then did the people carrying it wonder, what in the world is this? And did he wrap it? Did he package it? Did he put it in a box? And the other thing is he had to leave a note because I can imagine you're some elder in the tribe of Zebulun and all of a sudden you get a package that day from the Israeli UPS and you open it and it's this lady's leg. Oh, what in the world? And on top of that, there's a note. I don't know what the note says. It doesn't say. I do know the note must have said show up to the city of Mizpah to find out why this is here. Or I don't know, but all I know is it said show up to Mizpah. Because there in chapter 20, all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba shows up at Mizpah to find out what in the world happened. Because when they got these body parts, people were like, this shouldn't be. This isn't right. This is weird. This is wrong. This is horrible. This should not be done in Israel. So they show up to Mizpah to find out what happened. And then this man, he tells the story of what happened. And he tweaks it a little. He makes him look a little more heroic than he actually was. In fact, he showed no heroism, right? But he makes himself not look so bad in the story as he really is. And then number two, he blames all the leaders of the city of Gibeah rather than just that group of worthless men. And no, he blames them all. And the men and women of Israel are like, no, this should not be. This is wrong. So they go to Gibeah. And remember, Gibeah, the city, is within the tribe of Benjamin. And they go to Gibeah and they say, give us the men who did this. Because they will be executed. They deserve death. Send them out. Well, the tribe of Benjamin is really stupid. They're just dumb. Because they all of a sudden rally around the city of Gibeah. And they get all up in the face of the rest of Israel and they say, uh-uh-uh-uh, blood is thicker than water. You mess with Gibeah, you mess with the whole tribe. And so they come to the defense of Gibeah. Benjamin says, no way, and we're going to defend them. What in the world are they thinking? 
Why would they do that? This was something horrible that happened. Why would you even remotely try to defend them? So the nation of Israel, they gather 400,000 men to fight in their army. And Benjamin, you know how many men they get to fight? 26,000. So we have the nation of Israel with 400,000 men, and they are ready to fight against one of their own tribes. This is civil war. Benjamin, who could only muster 26,000 men. But the Bible does say two interesting things. The Bible says 700 of their men, the Benjaminites, are brilliant with the sling. They could whip a rock around and and it says they are so accurate with the sling, they could hit something as small as a hair. That's how accurate they are. That's amazing. Then on top of that, they all fight left-handed. The Benjaminites are left-handed warriors. I don't know if all of them are left-handed or if they taught them to fight left-handed, but they swing their slingshots left-handed. They swing their swords left-handed. And I've heard, what I've read is, as a right-handed person, it is really hard to fight somebody left-handed. It's confusing. It's odd. It's weird. Well, Israel, with 400,000 men, they go to Bethel, and they finally inquire of the Lord, and they say, Lord, should we go to fight? Should we go up against our own people? Hey, good job, Israel, for consulting God on this one. Well done. I give you credit for that. And God says, yes, go fight. And then God adds, Send Judah in first. So the men of Israel show up and they send some of their troops in and they begin to fight. And the men of Judah run in and they're fighting the men of Benjamin and they gained a wonderful victory. Yay! No. It says on that day when they began to fight, Benjaminites and the men of Gibeah, they won and they ended up killing 22,000 men of the Israelites. 22,000! Well, Israel's not going to give up and they go consult God a second time and they're like, man, we just lost. Should we go back again or is this a sign we shouldn't go? And God says, no, go up and fight. So they go back to fight and they come with 400,000 less 22,000. They come running in and they come to fight these men of Benjamin. And it says on that day, Benjaminites win again. And they kill 18,000 of the Israelites. So the first day, Benjaminites win. 22,000 Israelites lost. Second day, Benjaminites win. 18,000 of the Israelites lost. So the Israelites are like, should we do this? And they go up a third time to Bethel to talk to God. And God says, yes, you need to go fight them a third time. And then God adds this. And tomorrow, I will give you the victory. I will give you the victory. You will win because of me. That's the thing that's missing throughout the whole book of the Judges is these men and women of this time, they don't give credit to God and they forget to give credit to God and they get caught up in their own worlds and they just live for themselves. But God says, I'm going to give you the victory tomorrow. 
So the men of Israel show up to fight, and they're gathered around the city of Gibeah. But they're learning. They're learning they got some good slingshotters, right? They're learning these are good left-handed warriors. So now they've thought of a cool tactical plan. Well, Israel starts to fight, and the men of Gibeah slash Benjaminites come out of the city of Gibeah, and they start to fight them, and it says that they kill 30 of their men, and the men of the Benjaminites slash Gibeahites are thinking, we've won it again, we've won a third battle, and they start to pursue the men of Israel, but what they don't know is the men of Israel have started to lose a little bit on purpose. And they've started to run a little bit on purpose to draw the men out of the city. And when all the men are out of the city, but they don't realize, the men of Gibeah have no clue that hiding on the left and the right of the city gates are troops of Israelites. And they rise up and they run into the city behind them. And it says they put to the edge of the sword, they kill all the men and women and everything there in Gibeah. And so the men of Gibeah are pursuing, and they're fighting the men of Israel. But they don't realize behind them, another set of troops is destroying the city of Gibeah. And they set it all on fire. And when the men who are out front, the Israelites who are running away from the men of Gibeah slash Benjaminites, when they see the flames shooting up from the city, that's the sign to stop running, and to turn around and attack the men of Gibeah. And so they stop running, and they turn around, and they start to attack the men of Gibeah slash Benjaminites, and they start fighting, and they're like, no, we're going to go back to the city for defense. And they turn around, and they see another set of Israelites coming to them from behind, and they are totally trapped. And on that day, Benjamin, as a tribe, is wiped out, totally destroyed, except for 600 men. 600 Benjaminites, they run and hide in these rocks in this cavey area, and they hide from the Israelites so they can't find them. It's called the Rock of Rimmon, R-I-M-M-O-N, or the Rock of Rimmon. They go hide there. And that's all that's left. 600 of the tribe of Benjamin. There were 26,000. They only have 600 left. And the men of Israel are like, yes, we have won. Woohoo, woohoo, woohoo. And they're like, yes, we've won. And then we come to chapter 21. And remember, this is during the time when people sort of knew what was right, but they lived for themselves. And so they they sort of pick and choose. They go talk to God when they want to use him, but they don't seek him consistently. Well, now Israel realizes we nearly wiped out one of our own tribes. And there's only 600 of them left. And not all those men were men who did the initial deed in the first place. In fact, I probably can't even remember what we were fighting over. And some of those are my friends. Some of those are friends of my friends. And they're probably not all bad. They were just fighting for the Benjaminites. And I'd like to give them some sort of future and a hope. And, hey, hey, I've got a daughter. Maybe I can marry her. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Oh, I can't do that. 
Because you find out in chapter 21, at some point at Mizpah, all of Israel had vowed to never, ever marry any of their daughters to another Benjaminite ever again. And they made this vow before God. And since they made this vow before God, they could not break it. What a stupid rash vow. Reminds you of Jephthah's rash vow about whoever comes out of the house first shall sacrifice to God. And here they made this rash vow, which they didn't need to make. And I, and I wonder if they could have broken if God even took it seriously because they barely know him. And But in their heads, they're thinking, hey, a pinky swear is a pinky swear. I've got to keep this vow. So we have 600 men hiding in those caves, but we have no way to get them any wives to propagate their tribe. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so the elders are pacing around the elder room and sitting in their elder chairs and sitting around the elder table. When one of them goes, hey, hey, was there anybody here? Was there any tribe or clan who didn't show up to fight, who maybe did not make this vow? And so they start talking around the room. Oh, I don't know. And then somebody raises saying, hey, I know of one, Jabesh Gilead. They never showed up. Jabesh Gilead. That city never showed up to fight. <gasps> yes. They never made the vow. All right. Well, we can give them their virgins, their young daughters who have never been married. We'll give them to them. Maybe somebody thought, I don't think the dads are going to give up their daughters that easily. I, I don't think that's going to happen. And somebody said, you know what? Then they're going to get killed. They should have showed up. They didn't show up, did they? No, no. And I can imagine they start talking around the room of how wrong it was. They deserve death. Yeah, yeah. And so Israel goes down. They send 12,000 warriors. And they go to Jabesh Gilead. And it says they put to the sword the men and the women and the children. They totally wipe out the city. Did they need to do that? No. Could they have asked them, hey, will you give us your daughters since you didn't make this vow? Maybe there were other cities who didn't make this vow. I can't imagine that this whole thing wasn't driven by money and greed and power and maybe somebody wanted that region. This was horrendous. Again, they're wiping out women and children to satisfy a vow which they didn't need to make. This is just insanity. And so the only people left of Jabesh Gilead are 400 daughters who have never been married. 400 young virgins. That's all that's left. So they invite the 600 men of Benjamin out of the rock of Ramon and they come to these women and they pick one for their bride. Everything's great. Yay! No, it's not. Because remember, there's 600 men and there's only 400 women. That leaves us 200 men of Benjamin who don't have a wife. No, Israel instead has to find wives for those 200 men. Now, like, you know what? We, we just don't have enough women. We don't have enough virgins in this area. What are we going to do? And so they're thinking and they're thinking. And then that bright spark that came up with the original idea, he probably says, hey, you know what? North of here, there is a feast to the Lord. And that feast to the Lord is at Shiloh. 
And this feast of the Lord at Shiloh, these daughters, these young virgins, they come out and they dance. There's a big party and families get together. And when they come out to dance, let's have those 200 men of Benjamin hiding in the bushes and grass. And when those young daughters come out to dance, they can grab a young daughter and run off. Now, does that sound like a great idea to you? I don't think that's a great idea, but everybody's like, yeah, that is an awesome idea. Totally destroy a family's fun at this beautiful feast to Yahweh by kidnapping their daughter. Yeah, this sounds like a great idea. And I can imagine somebody says, hey, where is this feast of Shiloh? Because in the Bible, they give very specific They give very specific directions. You know, the Feast of Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. You know, that Feast of Yahweh. Oh, not the Feast of Yahweh that's down the road, up that ravine, through that channel. Oh, and and then you take a left at, at, at Slim's Barn. Yeah, no, not that Feast of Yahweh. No, the Feast of the Lord, which is north of Bethel on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem south of Labona. I mean, it is very specific. And sadly, on that day, these families of the city of Shiloh, who are there enjoying the feast, they don't know what's about to happen. They have no clue. And their daughters come out to do a beautiful dance, which they've done year after year after year. Maybe a father's sitting there out in the blanket enjoying the sight of his daughter, dancing with his other daughters, thinking, thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Yahweh. When all of a sudden, up pop these men who come running through. And the first one picks up a daughter and runs off. Then somebody else picks up another one and runs off. 200 men of Benjamin show up and kidnap two hundred daughters of Shiloh for their wives. Can you imagine what that must have felt as a father to lose your daughter that way? Can you imagine? Think about the story. What began with a group of men living out some sexual perversion ends with a whole nation approving of daughter abduction. How does that happen? You know? Sexual perversion here locally with this group of men. Let's squelch it out. Let's deal with it. Now, as a whole nation, we are approving daughter abduction. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for those women who were forced to marry these men and live with them. This is just a horrible situation. And so the book of Judges ends with this phrase, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I can imagine the writer of the book of Judges shuts the book. And he's done. And he's made his point with the worst most graphic story in the whole book because he wants to pound home this one truth. Live for the Lord, not for yourself. 
I think in modern day application, there is truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is not a choice. There is no such thing as your truth. There's a popular phrase right now, speak your truth. No, speak the truth. And there is truth. And there is right. And there is wrong. And right and wrong is not relative. And we are a culture that is living out the truth of judges in the wrong way. We are a culture who are living to do things that are right in our own eyes. And we come up with these fantastic ideas and we end up with a relativistic approach to truth and morality. And we end up, I'm afraid, going down this horrible path. And the writer of Judges centuries ago is echoing back to us. Don't do it. There is truth. And especially if you're a Christian, if you believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you've been saved, there is no such thing as relative truth. It is found in the Bible. And yes, we can have discussions about certain things, but ultimately there is truth that is found here that is unshakable and that we can declare as truth and live it out in our culture today. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.